Um, welcome. If you're new here, if this is your first time here with us, welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you could be with us. And if you're returning and you, this is all your family, uh, we're so privileged to meet together. We should never take it for granted. Um, sometimes that's one of the things that, um, especially the last two, three years, I think if it didn't teach you that, it taught me that for sure. Um, how valuable it is that we get to see one another and to worship God together. It's, it's a privilege. So um, I really would like to encourage that. You know, for those of us who are like, oh, yeah, this is what I do on Sundays anyway, don't think that way. It's a privilege to come once again. All right. My name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here, if you don't know me. Um, I'm just so privileged to be sharing the word this morning. For the next few weeks, I'm going to be teaching through, all the way through Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to be working through this series called The Source. Because we, as, as a teaching team, have decided that we were going to set, spend 2023 on something called the divine pursuit. Okay, Now, that can seem very, very ambiguous, right? But this, I want to get a little bit specific here. Our goal as a teaching team is to basically give you an invitation to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. If, if, if I were to strip it all down to a very basic thought, there are so many things that we're used to. Some of us have grown up in church. Some of us have returned to church. Some of us are just still in that place of saying, I don't know exactly, but I'm seeking, right? And our invitation to you as a church in this year is we want to invite you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Now, we need to be careful that there are two sides of this thing that can become almost overly pressuring or, you know, like in your face to a point where you're, you're trying to carry the load. And God gave us a word last week specifically to address some of these things where in our pursuit or in our seeking of God, it can sometimes feel like, oh, I'm not really doing enough. I should be reading more my Bible. I should be praying more. I should be doing this more. And then you become self-judgy. More than the judgy people you find in church, you know who the, your worst judge is? Yourself. Very often, we overjudge ourselves. Not you, Brad. No, you don't judge yourself. Okay, all right. You're good. Um, but, if, but some of us, we get into this place where we often start to overthink some of these things. And you forget that you are drawn into this this whole understanding that Jesus loves you, that He died for your sins, wasn't just a religious idea. It was something that changed your life. And very often, we skip on to what we call more fancy or deeper things, and we forget the basics. We forget that we were not the ones who started this whole thing. I did not Christianize myself. I did not, even though I might have decided one day maybe it was a kid's camp back in the 80s or if you were in the 70s, for those of you who are part of the Jesus movement, right? Some of us have watched Jesus Revolution, right? Um, many of us came to the Lord in very, very different ways. But then we got involved with church and then we got churchified. And now we just do church. And we've forgotten some of the things we did at first. So part of this series is to bring us back to the 
to the basics of there was somewhere we started. And the source for our walk with God did not come from ourselves. So that's the baseline. And I want to get into some of those basics right through these weeks. And I want to take us back to the start. On the, two, on the one hand, you have this pressure to do better and want to seek God with all your heart and not to get into this overly legalistic, like I need to do more of this and more of that. And then Alan did very, very well to bring us back to this very simple truth. It is God who pursued you, not the other way around. You were not seeking after God. God sought after you. There was a moment where you realized his pursuit of you goes long before you were walking this planet. He sent his son. This, everybody knows John 3.16 in some form. And we all like to quote it, but we forget that God sent his son for people like you and me who are not seeking after him. And he has taken it upon himself. The day we said, Lord, I give you my heart, he says, I receive you to, to such ones he gave the right to be called the children of God. It was an expensive thing. It's not a trivial thing. The Jews were his people. He came to his own and his own refused him. And as a result, he said, to anyone who will receive, to them he gave the right. That is a big thing. You and I are sitting here today because of people who are not his people were given the right to become children of God. Which is why the whole world to this day cannot say that God is sitting somewhere in some distant place or in some church building or in some religious institution, whatever it is, and only select people get to go in. He's made this offer to anyone. How churched, unchurched, no churched, what religion background you had, I come from a country where my religion, my religious background shouldn't have been Christianity. But I grew up in a faith, not because my parents taught me so, but because God was pursuing me. It did not take a Christian nation for me to be pursued by God. I want you to hear that. Because very often we are so convinced that setting an environment where every, these God kind of things will happen is the only way God will truly get through to this generation. You know where the fastest growing churches are right now on the planet? You know where more people are being saved than anywhere else on the planet Earth? In Iran. The largest church on the Earth today is in Iran. Not in America. And I can tell you, they're not filling stadiums. But more of them die than the people we put in stadiums each day. Simply because they have counted the cost and it is worth laying down their life. That's how much he has got to their heart, not to their lifestyle. Many of them have a lifestyle we, you and I, wouldn't want. But believers all across the earth have come to this saving knowledge because God pursued them. So I want you to hold these two things in clear balance. That God is the one who pursues you. He's the one who draws you. But He says, I want you to come and seek after me with your whole heart. 
Don't come half-baked. Don't come at me with this church Sunday kind of face. So to the church in America, to our church specifically, because I'm accountable to you and you're accountable to me, we need to challenge each other, not in a judgy way, but saying, hey, let's go after the Lord. He pursued us long before we were his friends. So I want to pursue the Lord with my whole heart. Okay? So that's the context. So anything else you hear, you need to put it in that context. Is We're not trying to overkill something where we get into this, let's make like 10 lists of how we can do better things for God. Or God is the only one who's doing everything, so I guess I shouldn't bother. We need to have that balance. Okay? All right. So here's where I want to start. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I want us to be a church that pursues God's heart. Not that we have already obtained this, or we are already perfect, but we as a church, together, when we read this verse, we say, we want to press on to make it our own. Because Christ Jesus has made us His own. So we want to make it our ambition. If there is one ambition we should have as Word of Grace as the church of Jesus Christ in Indiana, is we live a life before our community that displays, I'm not, I'm not the perfect person. I'm not this person who has it together. But I, I know that Christ has, has a hold of me. Everything, my lifestyle, my marriage, my raising of my kids, my job, everything is in light of pursuing Him. So I want to lay hold of that. So is there something God has laid a hold of me for that I need to see in my job? Lord, show me more of that in 2023. Because we don't ask that question. Have you asked that question? I did not ask that question. Until a little while ago, I was just like, there are so many areas of my life where I just don't, don't ask the question. I don't say, Lord, show me what more is there. I'm content with what I've already got. I'm content with being a Christian at work. I'm content with what I do with my kids. Lord, how do I pursue your heart with fathering my kids? I want to know more. I don't want to just be like, yeah, I'm dad. I'm dadding nicely. I'm good. There's that settledness that sometimes comes, which is not a good thing. Hebrews chapter 3. So on the positive side, I want us to be someone, go after God's heart. In Hebrews 3, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I exhort one another every day that as long as it is called today, none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a very important point to to consider when we are considering our walk with God. Because this is one of those things that feels a little bit judgy, right? So you're like, well, let's back off from this verse. But when is it that God has the right to challenge parts of our heart, which is saying, nah, I'm I'm cool. I'm just going to do this. I guess my job will make up for that. Or my kids will... Or my spouse will. 
We try and fill our life with different things and we place our trust in those things. And he says, I'm calling you to a place where I'm going to challenge that. And you're saying, you're not trustworthy, really. I don't need to give God my trust in this area. This is something that I'm good at. And I've shared this with many of you many times. I, it's not the things I'm bad at that concern me. It's the things I'm good at. Because I'm prone to trusting my own strength and unbelieving God. I'm, pr- I'm prone to just saying, well, I got this. I know how to do this. I know how to, like, I know how to you know, balance my checkbook. I don't, I don't need help with finance. I don't need help with relationships. I got this under control until it's not. And we all know those days where suddenly the whole world is caving in and you're like, I need help. Can someone pray for me? And all of that kind of stuff. But God the whole time was saying, can I have your heart? And you're like, I'll wait for it to get to that point where I cannot handle it. Then I'll give you the keys. Then you sing the, what, the Carrie Underwood, right? Jesus, take the wheel. But he's not going to take the wheel. As much as you might sing the song, you got to give it to him. The problem is someone's in the driver's seat. No one can take the wheel if you're still in the driver's seat. And it's hard because we are always in this place where we're saying, Lord, have your way in me. And then he, as the sole carer for your life, as the one who's taken the responsibility to care for you and to pursue you, he's like, are you, are you willing to take my help? And you're like, no, but you love me anyway. That is cheap grace. So in a context where we're saying we preach to anyone who will hear, God is gracious to you. He does not condemn you. He does not come at you with a stick. But as any parent knows, I got to challenge you, kid. You're not going to grow up into an adult if I keep letting you make the same decisions with the same tantrums. At some point, okay, you can lay down on the floor in Walmart all you want, but you're not getting that cereal, right? That might happen once. It's embarrassing when that happens in public. But if you placate it, it'll happen again and again and again. Eventually, there is something where we as parents have to get to that point where we're like, I'm not going to... This is enabling now. It's no longer me tolerating or giving an adjustment for my child who needs to develop. There's developmental stages, absolutely. I'm not going to sit and expect my four-year-old to sit and not make a mess of the table. They're going to make a mess, and that's fine. But if they're 13, 14, and they're still making the same mess, if your feet are up on your chair, how many parents have this problem? Like, why, are, why am I seeing your knees? This is a dining table. Right? So, it's, so those are silly things. But imagine this. If I have a 25-year-old who's going for a job interview and he does this, there's something wrong. Because no one challenged that. Oh, he's just being himself. Sorry, nobody wants that self. Right? You might want it. But we've got into a world system where we 
push the boundaries of other people being able to dictate where the boundaries are. Even with yourself. And people expect you to give way to their boundaries. Except you can't have any. And when God sets boundaries for us, he says, I'm calling you into maturity so that you have a clear identity of who you are and who I've designed you to be. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So, we've been brought into a new reality. And this is where Bob was for the past few weeks. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. May, the grace of our, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things. And he labored this point, right? What is it about your life that you think God hasn't provided? He's provided all things pertaining to life and knowing him. Godliness. There is nothing that you're deficient in what is the deficiency is a willingness to let it operate. And that's what I mean by the hardness and the deceitfulness of sin and an unbelief that says, if you're not willing to fix it, then never mind. Uh, this is where you and I work together, son. There are so many things in my life I wish I would have dealt with when I was 15, 16, 17, 18. But did God give up? No. He stuck with me. There were things as a 30-plus-year-old I was dealing with. Now I'm almost in my 40s, right? So I'm like, God comes back to me and says, Son, this is something we've been working on for 20 years. Are you ready to stop saying, Well, you need to fix it. He's like, No, I'm going to need you to put on your big boy pants. And he doesn't do it with any condescension. It's a, it's a drawing up into maturity. So when God calls us into these things, He's saying, I've given you everything. The issue is, are you willing to take my hand? As we were singing, it was just something that I, I hope you get a chance to reflect on the songs we sang as well. This whole idea that all my life you have been faithful. All my life, You've been the God who kept your covenant even when I did not. When I see teenagers sitting around in church or anywhere, and I think, I think back to how God literally grabbed a hold of me as a teenager. Through all the different things. And this is a word just for those of you who are parents over here. It's such a hard season, especially when you're in the raising teens into young adults. It's a hard season because you don't have control over how they respond to things. And he is the God who says, I will send my goodness running after them. Those places where you feel like, I, Lord, I can't see. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. He says, I will go after them. So for you to know that in all of the things that you're going through, he ran after you. He pursued you. This is the, this is the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus. 
He did not let your salvation hinge on you being good. Because I know I wasn't a good kid. <laughs> like there, the sad thing about Facebook and those kind of platforms is a lot of my classmates from, your, from high school get to see who I am now. They're like, you're either like the biggest fake or something like has happened to you. I was like, something's happened to me. Because I was a pastor's kid when I was that kid. So I knew how to play the game. God was doing amazing things in my life, but there was a, just a disconnect with, I hate that I have to be that guy who has it together. And the rebellion was big. Not small, not small rebellion, big rebellion. And God, in his mercy, would every single time I would get close to the edge, and this is something, like, because I know of friends who've gone over the edge. Every time I would suddenly have, like, almost like a spiritual hand, like, grab me from the scruff of my neck and, and pull me back. Just the amazing things, so many times close to death, so many times close to just totally messing up my entire life. And God comes in and he says, I've got a hold of you because your parents have put their faith in me to be the one who chases after you. So it's not a minor thing when you as parents pray or say, I don't know, you know what my kid's doing. Or Trust him fully. He is a good father. He's a good pursuer and he never fails. I don't know, I, I just keep coming back to this point because I think someone over here needs to hear that. First Corinthians, verse, chapter 8. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom all things we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We need to understand that He is the origination of everything that we have. He is the starting point. He is the source. How many, how, how, are you familiar with like, like lakes or rivers and stuff? And they get all mucky, right? Sometimes, and de depending on the season, there's different stuff in the water. But all of these things trail back to a source that's undefiled. We just bottle it and sell it for lots of money. Going back to the spring source of whatever, where the water comes from, that's where the purity is because it's not being touched. The thing is, we have let our walk with God be touched by lots of things and lots of people. So even the things that I am saying to you, if you are not going back to the source, which is God Himself, your walk with God will be defiled by whatever little bits of Judah are in what you're hearing. You have to go back to the source. And then, by all means, you are encouraged, you're stirred up, and that results in righteousness. Not because of anything that this meeting did for you, not because of the life group that you're a part of, but because you went back to the source. And He cares for you to grow. Philippians 
My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. It's the same concept. It's that He is going to be the source of everything you're going to need. The moment we make our life and our livelihood the source of some of our things and God's the other part, that's where the disconnect happens. It's a blend. We try and do a blend. And I will get into that in a little bit. This is the problem with modern culture. We have learned to adjust with conveniences that make life simple that we don't have to worry about it, right? That's the whole point of a convenience. A microwave. I don't have to cook, just throw it in. A crock pot. Sunday's best. But it's like all of these sorts of things. Why do we have these conveniences? So we don't have to give mental capital to it. Credit cards. Well, why carry stuff in your pocket when you could just tap something? And we do that with our lives. So when it comes to parenting, you're like, oh, this, I got this figured out. I got a schedule for that. I got this. Oh, that's fine. But God, you can fix that. Because I've microwaved these parts of my life. These parts I need you to fix because that's the... I need the big jobs done here. And he's like, I'm going to take all of it, not some of it. There are more verses, just write them down if you're taking notes. James 1.17, Ephesians 1, verse 3, John chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. In John chapter 1, it's this idea that he was the light and everything is found in him. All things that were created came from him and without him nothing was created. So if he is the origin, if he is that fresh spring which is undefiled, why are we trying to figure out life with all these pollutants in there and we're trying to make sense of all of it instead of just going back to the source? He's like, if the source was like somewhere distant that you could not figure out where the heck is this spring coming from, you might have a reason to say, okay, you know, I've got to make the most of what this water is. You know where the source is. But we refuse to go up the mountain. Everyone wants to just drink it where it's at. And that's what I'm challenging you to. So do you see that I cannot get through this message without sufficiently challenging you? And it's not coming from a judgy place. It's coming from a place of, if we're going to move on in this stuff, we have to challenge ourselves. There's no two ways around that. You have to get through this gate of maturity requires obedience. Donovan went through that really well. When he brought us to this point of loving God well means an obedience that loves. Obedience is not for the sake of doing the thing, but it's for the heart that said, I'm completely yours, what would please you? That's what draws obedience. My next point is spiritual things must have a spiritual source. It seems almost like a redundant statement because it's like, oh, yeah. But the problem is, we don't operate that way. Spiritual things often have an intellectual source in our day. 
especially in today's church, we are used to having an intellectual source for spiritual matters. Well, if I understand this theology, it will be great. Okay. You've understood it. Now what? That begs the question, now what? Are you living in the freedom of it or the blessing of it or the benefit of it or the instruction or the warning of it? Is that actually affecting how you live or is it just something that you understood? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. These are big portions of Scripture, so I'm just going to ask you to write it down. And if you can go and read it yourselves, I might see how far I can get through it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things He has revealed to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received a spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And this we impart with words not taught with human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he, is, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself not to be judged by anyone. Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For now you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The whole idea here is that if God is my source, there is a different way He operates, which is not on just a purely humanistic intellectual level. We are currently living in a time period where philosophizing on everything that we can, aside from God, is a very worthy pursuit. We have lots of self-help. It seems almost oxymoronical, because if you needed help, anyway. But, but we, we often look to broken cisterns, we look for broken wells which then try to fix themselves. God has given you a wonderful identity, and I appreciate the work that people do to fix that broken identity. And yes, some of the answers come from you making certain self-steps, but the help cannot come from within. Because then you wouldn't need the help in the first place. Do you understand the point? It, it needs something that changes the framework that you've been operating out of. And that comes from His presence. And that's what, when, when Walsh was sharing that, why it was such a profound thing about despair being, being turning your back on God is because that is where 
the world is not willing to admit that that is even a starting premise. Because the starting premise is something is wrong in my relational life or in my mental health. or in, The fact that I've turned my back on God, that's, that is not, not a question. What, why are you asking that? That's got nothing to do with this problem. The question is, the whole world has already turned its back on God and God's sitting here saying, I want to help you with this stuff. No, 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 I just need to, I need some time out. I need some time to decompress. You might, but decompress with Him, for crying out loud. You know, like, like if, if there is one person who can walk you through stuff without being overly judgy or blasting you with whatever their perspective is, it's God Himself. He designed you. He made you. And I'm telling you, He's the most gentle counselor you have ever met. He walks with you through stuff right where you're at, not where you think you should be. I want to touch this old idea of no blend. If spiritual things need a spiritual source, like Scripture tells us, we also have to deal with this whole scriptural idea of why God hates blend. It goes back to the Old Testament. And a lot of people got carried away with some of this stuff. In Deuteronomy, it talks about, you know, plowing an ox with a donkey or blending fabrics like linen and cotton, like all of that, like wool and linen mixed together or mixing fabrics, mixing. Now, some of these people like do that to this day as like some big religious thing that God's going to appreciate. The point he was making was, you always want to mix stuff and never have anything in its pure form. Because things seem more and more convenient. A little bit of God, a little bit of finance, a little bit of relationship help, a little bit of pray when it gets really testy and you can't stand her. You know, it's a little bit of all of that. Rather than saying, Lord, I bring you my marriage entirely. Lord, I bring you my finances entirely. Raising my children entirely. I'm going to stop blaming what my parents did to me. I'm going to stop blaming what this generation is doing to my child. Do you understand? We are so used to finding an external place to, put, put, to place the blame to say, why I cannot fix what's going on with my family or my kid or my job or whatever. It's always somebody else. Again, big boy pants time. Am I going to sit there and say, Lord, I can't make head or tail out of what this is. But I know you are the source. So I'm coming to you with all of it. Not some of it. Not just the part that's frustrating me right now. All of it. So then I stop trying to fight against this generation. I stop trying to fight against what's on TV. I stop trying to fight against... X, Y, Z. You're the one who gives me wisdom on what to do with my child. You give me wisdom on what to do with my finances. You'll help me. I don't need to try and figure it out every day. You will give me wisdom. In 1 Peter, this is an amazing chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 
So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Do you see that phrase there? Now, in all of the other passages in the New Testament, especially when it talks about this, it's talking about it in a pejorative sense. When it talks about milk, it's saying it as, oh, you're drinking just milk, you should be eating really good food by now. But this is in a positive sense of saying, in its purest form, I want you to seek after. You know how a little baby wants milk that desperately? I want your heart to be like that. Desperately sick for more of Him. Like an infant is totally fixated on mom being there. And it's like, you just fed. Well, I want some more. Well, you... Like, moms in this room understand this con... It's like, seriously. Maggie, you should be done for now. No, I want more. You know? And it's in this context of, I've tasted that the Lord is good. I know this is good stuff. And it's a place of comfort. It's a place of rest. It's a place of nourishment. Just... That's something that moms have as a blessing. But it's frustrating, right? Just imagine if your, your walk with God was in that sort of a frustratingly persistent, frustratingly constant. I need more. I, I want more. I want more. I know you just put me down. I know I was happy for like three minutes, but I want more. You should be napping now, but I want more. Long for it. When you long for the source enough, I'm telling you, some of this other junk that's in your life, all of the other pollutants in the water, stop becoming an issue because you're like, I'm going right back to where I get it all from. I stop trying to answer all the questions everybody wants me to answer. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are being are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I wanted to skip down. Actually, no, I cannot skip down. For it stands in Scripture and it says, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. You know that stone? Now that stone has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God is setting you apart, not because you were now like these special people. 
the, the chosen people, the chosen race, is not because of, any, of him saying, I'm going to unselect other people. It is quite deliberately because he became an offense to them. That is the issue. The same stone. That same cornerstone that everything was supposed to be built on has now become a place that people trip. So it has to do with the heart. It has to do with, are you willing to respond to the free gift? So in our lives, we can get desensitized by a whole bunch of religion. We can get desensitized by theological positions or whatever it is. The issue is, if you are founded on the rock that is Jesus, everything will be built straight. Everything. Because it matters to Him, not to you. As much as you think you are concerned about getting it right, trust me, He knows how to get it right way more than you. And it matters to Him way more than you. Would you put up with the state of the church? Forget about the world. In America today, if you were God. Would you put up I'm asking you a very simple question to ask yourself. Would you tolerate the state of the church as it is today? He does. Why the heck does he bother? Because it matters to him more than it does to you. Do you understand? So the moment we get all like agitated, I need to be doing this for God, and we need to be standing up for this and saying, like, chill out. He is the righteous one. He is. So you're, you're thinking by somehow fixing whatever that little thing that you're bothered about right now, suddenly the whole church is going to become better? Or your walk with God's going to magically become better? No. Again, in humility, when you say, Lord, all of my life is yours. This, this thing bothers me in the church or this thing bothers me in my personal life. But you're the builder. You're the cornerstone. Lord, you build straight. I commit myself to that process. So if there's something that you see offensive in me, I'm prepared to lay it down, that you can lead me. If there's something that I need to change today, I change it today. And if I fail, and if I've struggled, or I've fallen into an unbelieving heart, or I got deceived by a sinful act, or deed, or whatever it is, Lord, I come back to you. You're the cornerstone. You've called me to be a priesthood. You've set me apart for your purpose. I want to be someone who lives with a full awareness of what you have done. In Jesus' ministry, you will see this happen when Jesus was taken up and he was tempted by the devil. He was taken up to the highest point. And he was shown all of the nations and he was saying, hey, you know what? I, I know you've come to save all these people, right? Let me make your job easy. I'll give you the nations. Just bow down and worship me. Jesus looked at the devil and he said, this is in Matthew 4, 
Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Is that a, a statement that rings true with your heart when there are small things? I will only worship the Lord my God, and only him shall I serve. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, this is later on. He says, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy, for where the three thieves break and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither the moth nor rust destroys, nor thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light that you think you have will be such darkness. And then guess what? That darkness is so great. No one can serve two masters. This is the whole idea of why God does not want blended life. You cannot serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the context here is him talking about money, but it's a bigger context, which is all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. He says, you will love the Lord your God only. Only. No Lord and Family is everything, but Jesus is my... No, no. Stop making those statements. Your family is not everything. Because if Jesus is Lord, then He's Lord. The problem is we've got used to this blending. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. When you decided that Jesus is someone who matters to you and that you belong to him, what does the word belong mean? That means you're not your own. The problem is we use the belonging word in the context of I'm part of. The, you know, like we use it in church, you belong here. You don't belong here, you belong to him. I'm glad you're here on Sunday. But do you belong to each other because you belong to him? Or is it just a party kind of word? Belong. I see posters of it all over, right? Christian conferences, that's a... <laughs> it's like the favorite poster we love to put on. You don't get to belong if he's not Lord. I didn't write it. But we wouldn't put that on the poster, right? Belonging only comes when you belong to Him. The problem is we want to accommodate. And that's the thing. The word accommodate is what we, syn we, syn we, it's, we feel like it's a syn synonym for belong. Right? Accommodate. You're part of. Jesus says you cannot have friendship with the world and follow after me. 
Is he saying stay away from the world? No. But there is an issue of belonging. Do you belong to him? Is Jesus Lord? Okay, then you and I belong. Absolutely, we're, we belong to each other. But it is on the basis of whose you are. You cannot say you're part of the church if you don't belong to him. Period. I don't care what church denomination it is. The fundamental issue is, is Jesus Lord? Sure, I understand. We have friends who are not Christian. We love them. I love all of I, I mean, I love more people in our town who are not Christian at all, have nothing to do with it. And I'm not passively like acquaint. I'm, I'm really good friends. But when it comes to do we belong to God together? No. But I will share out of the good news of what Jesus has done in my life. And I hope my life reflects a life of saying, I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. But this is what God has done in my life. So I will lay that out for you. Do you want to belong to Jesus as well? Life is not going to be perfect. Life's not going to be a bed of roses. But I know whose I am. Sudden, and this is why the church in Iran is growing. Because no one is trying to give them a false sense of accommodation. Oh yeah, as long as you like, do you like the coffee? Do you like the, it was, was the lights too bright? Or was the music too loud? I don't care. It's not for you. I don't care. Oh, I didn't like the message. It was Okay. The issue isn't you. The issue is, are we belonging to him together? Sure, I will screw something up. Give, give me enough time and I'll show you something I've screwed up. Right? The issue isn't that. The issue is, are we completely belonging to him? That he, When he says, I'm going to require this of you, it's not him being judgy. We've already established whose I am. So if you're in my house, like the rule in our house, if you're coming into our house, we love you, but take your shoes off. I didn't make the rule, my wife did. Right? But I follow it. Why? Because I value her. There is a Lord over that home. Which is us. Right? So when we make a rule, it's not because we hate you. This is our home. So when you walk into a church, the problem is it's become, it's choose your destiny, kind of like whatever you want it to be, it can be. No. The moment you say, I've joined myself to the church of Jesus Christ, we're not worried about who the pastor is, what this was, what that was. The issue is, are you, do you belong to Jesus? Because in Iran... They hardly get through two weeks before they're dead. So you don't have time to discuss what kind of decor your church has. They're giving their lives for something that is worth laying down their lives for. Why? Because they know whose they are. The issue is, in America today, most of us who go to church don't know whose we are. We know we belong to ourselves. We know we belong to our families. That's where this blend stuff happens. And then Sunday, we get a little bit of Jesus in your life. Right? And that's what I'm inviting you out of. If you want to have a Jesus plus kind of life, 
church life isn't for you. Maybe church attendance is. But if you're really going to join the heart of God on what he's doing in the earth today, you're saying, I cannot play church. I cannot just sit there. I cannot just do the things that I've done. I need to go back to the source. I must see what the Father is doing. And you will hear this phrase Jesus used often. I can only do what I see my Father doing. Jesus, don't you think you should do this? And we should do this for the ministry? And just like, no, I, I, I'll only do what I see my Father doing. Think, think just the humility it took for someone who always had a clear plan and had power to do it. For him to step back and say, I will wait to see what my father has. I'm going to go back to the source and get it from there. If you could turn to me to Jeremiah 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says, this is Jesus telling the story of the prodigal. And verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. This is your God. He does not wait for you to get it right. While you were still a long way off, he ran for you. I don't know if you can get the depth of what, how much our Heavenly Father loves you. But your walk with Him is never going to be on your success. It was going to just simply be because you turned. If I go back to my Father's house. And He says, I will give you a heart that will know me. And I want you to come back to me with that heart that says, I will seek you with my whole heart. I will give you all that you need. The resources to know me, the resources to perceive what I am doing in your life, I will give you. I will walk with you step by step. And Judah, guess what? You're 40, and there are things that we've been working on since you were like 15, and that's okay. But do I have your trust? And that's the same question I would ask you. Let's just commit these things to the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your help. Lord, that you are the source and we are not. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us, Lord, places where we get into our own strength or try and accomplish these things by ourselves. Lord, that we would turn our ways, turn from our ways, Lord God, and return to you. Lord, I ask that you'd show us how to respond to you well and quickly. Lord, that we would really receive the benefit of your presence. Lord, you promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So, Lord, we ask for this abiding presence to be manifest this week. Lord, that people would, would be woken up with words of clarity. Lord, that you would speak peace to places where there are storms. Lord, that there would be a, a sense of uh, belonging, Lord God, to what you have done in their hearts, Lord God. That they would truly see that having you as Lord is not a place of loss, but it's a place of gain. 
Lord, that everything you call us to lay down will be a place of great strength. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.